Welcome to the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Drew Sams and my co-host is Dr. James Gieselman. Together, we bring you some of the leading nutritional providers and world-class athletes from across the country who incorporate nutrition either in their practice or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate some of these practices into your life. Drew, so how's your week going? Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, we, we just finished a uh, wrestling tournament yesterday where I got to be the acting head coach. So, you know, I can't complain, you know, get a little experience. You know, as the head coach, I wasn't the assistant, assistant for this weekend. So, you know, we had a, a good showing for some of our younger athletes. It, you know, it was a pretty good weekend. And so how was that? How was being the uh, acting head coach? So it, it was definitely a new experience. And the new experience came with what I feel like was more anxiety. But other than that, you know, things didn't really change. You know, everything kind of ran smoothly. And, you know, it's a it's a well-oiled process, just, you know, making sure, you know, everything's in the right place. Just a couple new things, you know, having to pay for the hotels, having to pay entry fees at the tournaments, you know, those things that I don't normally do. But, you know, I got, I got to be in charge of that this weekend. You know, our, our guest today, Dr. Nardi, I mean, we can, we can tell you that it sounds like there's a lot of similarities there from being the assistant coach to head coach as being an associate doc to owning your own clinic. So trust me, you'll get to pay your own fees. And <laughs> so anyway, I'm really excited to have our guest here today. So this is Dr. Jason Nardi with us. Um, after working in the printing and packaging industry for hey uh, most of his teens, 20s, and early 30s, Dr. Nardi suffered an injury that led him to seek answers from multiple specialists, uh, which eventually led him to a chiropractor. Uh, this led Dr. Nardi to attend Life University in Marietta, Georgia, where he earned his doctorate of chiropractic degree. Following graduation, Dr. Nardi spent some time working in a scoliosis clinic in Saudi Arabia before coming back stateside where he spent time working in Alaska, North Carolina, and since 2017, he's been practicing in Juneau, Alaska at Nardi Chiropractic. Uh, Dr. Nardi has board certifications, including his diplomate uh, from the American uh, Board of Chiropractic Internist and his diplomate from the American Clinical Board of Nutrition. Dr. Nardi serves as the executive director for the ACA Council on Nutrition and is an associate editor for the Journal of Nutritional Perspectives. For those of you that may not know, Dr. Nardi was also the recipient of the ACA Council on Nutrition's 2020 Nutrition Professional of the Year. So without further ado, Dr. Nardi, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Doing great. Um, Hanging out on a lovely Sunday morning and uh, looking forward to being a guest on your podcast. I think this is awesome. We we appreciate you you being on. Yeah, Dr. Nardi, thanks for, you know, being here, like like James said. Um, can you tell, you know, our listeners just a little bit more about yourself that James didn't cover? Um, I mean, uh, what did he cover? He, he knew things that I forgot to put in my bio. Um, <laughs> um, been up here, came up here because uh, I met a gal in chiropractic school who asked me to go see where she grew up and um, ended up uh, marrying her and staying here and practicing with her and uh it's my lovely wife jessica and um though she's not in practice anymore she's also a chiropractor and she's a board certified neurologist who uh specializes in uh pediatrics um doing that and uh yeah it's probably the bulk of it good deal uh you know drew dr nardi and i and and you had a chance to meet dr nardi a few years ago when we were down at the aca's council on nutrition symposium down in uh, port st lucie 
Um, anyway, yeah. you know, we Love met it. down there. Uh, Doc has been part of the board, I mean, ever since I've been on. So, Doc, can you tell us a little bit about some of the board positions that you held? I know you had um, the executive director currently. Um, you know, how did you get involved with the board? What brought you to the board? Yep. Before that, I was the... Oh, yeah, I was um, bullied into joining the board by uh, Dr. Renniger, um, who just one day at my first uh, symposium said, I nominated you for a board position and you won unanimously. Awesome. I said, oh, okay." So that's how I got on the board. Um, uh, I came in as the director of education, which I was um, uh, did for what, two, three cycles, I guess. which was great. It was a really interesting learning experience. I put together continuing education for uh, the, the ACBN and the Council on Nutrition. And the ACBN is the American Clinical Board of Nutrition, for those who don't know. Um, and, and during that time, with the help of our admins, uh, Jesse and Katie, we've been able to open that up to other clinical nutritionists, including uh, master's level nutritionists, we even uh, started to bring in more uh, allied health and get nursing credits uh, in the couple of states that we've been in the last two years. Um, but I also got to learn a lot about event planning, which was a whole totally different thing. It's, you know, getting hotel rooms and, you know, like Drew, like going to, to uh, these tournaments, you know, it's, it's like you got to find rooms for people coming. You have to find uh, space to put the vendors on and the talks on it. It's an enormous undertaking. And, um, I learned a ton of stuff about what it takes to get the, these, these, you know, weekend classes that we go to, which are like, oh, man, I can't believe I have to go to class for two days. And it's, a lot of work goes into those those two days, three days, four days of classes. Um, and then this past election, I got uh, nominated to an actual board seat and uh, been the executive director with uh, James and a couple other folks because uh, um, you're our illustrious secretary and treasurer now lucky guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i um i was telling drew and drew knows that uh spent some time out in washington dc a week ago at the uh, aca engage and you know i was able to get some ceus out there but it was it was more of a working event than than i guess i originally thought you know i'm used to just going to the events every now and then i'll we'll speak at an event um, but this was kind of the like the the backside of that, you know, getting to see the inner workings of really putting it on, getting ready for you know the, the campaigning piece, the lobbying piece, meeting with your um, elected leaders, all the way to the inner workings of the ACA. So that was that was just a different behind the scenes look that you know I had not uh, had the privy of seeing before. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of things that we in healthcare take for granted to, you know, all the things we do to maintain our, our licenses and our specialties. There's a lot of other organizations that have to do a lot of work to keep those things active and valid, right? Um, man, even more so being in the academic world, I bet. So, uh, Dr. Nardi, um, you know, James kind of touched on it a little bit in your bio, but could you uh, tell us how you chose chiropractic as a career and kind of what led you into, you know, nutrition? Yeah, sure. I um, I had gotten some weird disease. Nobody was able to tell me what it was. I had a bunch of very weird and unrelated symptoms and saw 
uh, four different specialists working with my primary care doctor. Nobody was able to figure it out. I had a drug interaction, which caused me to lose my job because I couldn't remember stuff. And I was managing about $86 million in printing. Um, and, you know, you can't forget deadlines. You can't forget clients. And I was having horrible memory issues. And um, got off my meds, just figured this is the way things are going to be. And I hurt my back at a wedding. Went to a chiropractor and in about six visits, my back felt amazing. But all of my symptoms started to go away. And I remember asking him, I said, what did you do that, you know, these doctors at Sloan Kettering and, and, you know, Westchester Medical, all these big hospitals in New York couldn't figure out. And he just shrugged and went, I mean, your brain has to talk to your body and it wasn't doing a good job of it. And I went, wow, that's, that kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer. And um, I was out of work back in college thinking about career changes either. Um, I was going to go be a PT an acupuncturist, a chiropractor, or go brew beer because the prereqs were all the same. And um, I, uh, talking to the chiropractor that I was seeing, he's like, I'll help you get into chiropractic school. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. And uh, about eight months later, I was moving to Georgia. And then the nutrition stuff happened being in Alaska. Nobody here was really seeing doctors when we got up here. And um one of my first patients smelt like he drank a bottle of nail polish remover, right? He's just kicking ketones off. And I remember asking him like, yeah, are you a diabetic? He's like, yeah. So are you, you know, taking anything for it? He goes, nah, why not? He goes, I don't know. I can't get into a doctor to get a prescription for it. So, you know, as a new physician, like, what do you do? I can't write him a prescription for anything. So we had to start talking about how to change your diet and how to add some nutritional supplementation to help. And next thing I knew, I was getting people better doing nutritional work and started taking classes in functional medicine and clinical nutrition. So, you know, that's a good segue into one of the questions that I had, like I knew you were coming on and, and you know, I know that you have two board certifications. Mike, um, you know, I just want to know, Having the diplomate in both the chiropractic internist and as a you know chiropractic nutritionist, what are some of the things that you've noticed changing in the field? What are some of the things like you know some of the conditions that you're seeing that you know most chiropractors out there you know we're we're known for the uncomplicated low back pain. I don't know how many times I heard that phrase in graduate school, but the uncomplicated low back mm -hmm. pain. We're so much more than that. So for those listening that aren't chiropractors, that may be students, maybe. Um, you know, just other healthcare professionals in general, like what are some of the things that we see and that we can actually treat? Sure. Um, you know, just in the last month or two, um, I've had a lot of hormonal cases um, from thyroid to reproductive hormones. Um, just recently had a young woman with PCOS come in didn't like the uh, alternative of being on certain medications and uh, doing lots of things uh, as a young woman that she feels is going to be a complication for the rest of her life, uh, or at least during her childbearing years. I'm, I believe she's 21. Um, I had another lady with endometriosis who is right now in a gap of care because 
she came in for a consult and immediately said, well, I'm going down south because that's where we go. We have to leave here. Going down south to get uh, an exploratory surgery to see how far this this tissue is, you know, migrated out of my my uterus. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, it's that, that big of a deal. And she goes, and I don't want to keep doing this. My third surgery. So that's been pretty, um, seen, seen a lot of that type of stuff in the last couple of months. Um, but the most common stuff, blood sugar problems. Uh, I see a lot of type 2 diabetics who really start to understand that, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal, they think, until it gets worse. And they're doing everything their doctor told them, and it's not stopping the progression. So, um, you know, a lot of folks come to see me. I'm the f- usually third or fourth doctor they've come to see. And it's, it's always that challenge of saying, well, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to test this. And, um, you know, my, my favorite is when you have to pop the stool test kit on somebody and they go, what do I have to do that for? I'm like, listen, <laughs> like, you know, you, you have IBS and nobody's really figured out why you have IBS. So let's let's figure it out. Um, so that's the other thing we get folks with, uh, you know, GI is probably my number two most seen thing in general. So a lot of blood sugar, a lot of digestive, um, and the rest of the stuff is more folks coming in because they have something strange. Um, don't, don't like the current, uh, treatment. Uh, I got a guy with, uh, extremely low platelets and, um, he's got a ton of nutritional deficiencies. But nobody's addressed any of those. So we're just doing some supplementation and see if we can get his platelet count back above. You know, he's been around 12 for the last year. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not not been good. Um, so in two weeks, we'll get a new new blood test, see how he's doing on just some simple protocols. So, so are a lot of these patients coming in, you know, is what you're seeing a lot based on, like, the environment up in, you know, up in Alaska, you know, where you're located? Or is it... You know, some, do you, you feel like it's, you know, pretty general common problems across the board, you know, all over the place? You know, I, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I see a lot of the things that we're seeing kind of across the board in the U.S., a lot of those chronic diseases, you know, metabolic syndrome. Um, but at the same time, I see a lot of people with general problems that are just due to the fact that people up here aren't used to eating good food. Um, you know, a lot of people hunt, um, a lot of people fish. So meat's an easy thing to get up here. People are really used to having a freezer full of, you know, salmon and halibut, uh, venison, moose. Um, they're not used to having good vegetables. They all come up on a barge. We don't have farms in Southeast Alaska. There's no farmable land up here. If you're lucky, you have a greenhouse in your yard and maybe grow a tomato plant. Um, everything else takes a four-ish day journey on a boat from Seattle. So when it gets up here, your lettuce in the winter is not the best looking lettuce sometimes. So a lot of people flat out don't eat vegetables. And and when you tell them like, Hey, you know, could you add a leafy green salad to your day? No, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. Okay. Um, so there's that challenge too. It's the, the self-inflicted nutritional deficiencies, um, and, and that doesn't help. That doesn't help. Cause that's a lot of, it's a lot of trying to teach people how to, how to eat. So how are you with supplements? I mean, 
you know, I, I get that question a lot as a provider. Like, do you like nutritional supplements? And, and I flat out do. Um, I, you know, I would absolutely prefer that you get all the nutrients you need from your food. But if you just look at the standard American diet and not even, and that's a suit, I mean, that's with, right. you know, in the continental U.S. having access to all that food. If you don't even have access to it, you're just simply, your diet cannot get you everything that you need. And so, like, are you using a lot of supplements in your practice? Is that something you, you, you know, have protocols for? I, I do. Um, you know, one of the probably the it's, it's interesting. My my biggest group of patients, my biggest demographic are women over 40. Um, mm-hmm. But the people who buy the most multivitamins are men over 40. Um, so my men over 40 are all taken dailies and good dailies, right? I don't really sell over-the-counter stuff. Um, they're taking really good high-potency, you know, good orthomolecular doses of daily vitamins. Um, they're also my hardest group to say, hey, man, why don't you try these plant sterols to get your cholesterol down? I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't want to take one more thing. And it's like, well, why don't you take it for three months so you can maybe not take two other drugs? And they go, Oh, oh, this can cut stuff down. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's, I I do supplement a lot of stuff. Um, Interestingly enough, um, I I have a hard time getting people to take powdered greens, which I would think is like, hey, you can eat a salad or put a scoop of this stuff into into some water or some, you know, milk or whatever you want to put it in. And the number one reason is I don't like the way it tastes. I'm like, yeah, it's mix it with some more water, right? Water it down even more. Um, but supplement a lot. Yeah. And um, the, the logistics challenge of, of that too has been uh, something we always play with. So we've been using a lot of like online dispensaries now because mm-hmm. since the pandemic hit, getting stuff up here for our inventory has always been a challenge. And, you know, you go on the online dispensaries and, put a whole bunch of stuff in somebody's cart and oh no, that's backordered. Well, well, let's find an alternative. And sometimes a company I don't, I don't use in the office. So um, wouldn't be able to get it otherwise. So uh, big on the supplementation makes a big difference. And uh, probably oddly, guess what our number one supplement is here in Alaska? Vitamin D. Vitamin D all the time. It's the one thing I can never keep in stock. So that's like, everybody's got a, uh, online uh, auto deliver for their vitamin D now, which is great. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, it's a big one, man. Now, see, it'd be ironic if you were going to tell me it's an omega three. Yeah, <laughs> you were telling the story about how everyone has a freezer full of salmon and halibut. Like, I was getting kind of jealous there. Then you threw in venison, and I just, yeah, yeah, it's good, good eating meat wise. You know, like good super anti-inflammatory <laughs> meats, but. That's about it. Um, it's funny too. Talk about supplementation. When we first got up here, getting people to buy omega threes was really difficult. And then I found out there's a company that claims to be purely Alaskan. They're an Alaskan fish oil company, and they're not. They're just a white label from some other nutrition company. They are just like market on this Alaska idea. So um, that's been that's been a little interesting and, and kind of funny too about living here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you just kind of talked about, you know, who you see is, you know, 40 year old, you know, 40 plus year old women. Uh, and that was going to be my next, you know, question was what's your typical patient population? I guess I'll expand on that. And 
why, you know, why are you seeing, um, you know, that population more than, you know, any other? Yeah, I think, I think it's the same reason why functional medicine docs and, and nutritionists are seeing more people. We start to have those lifestyle problems when we hit our forties. And if you look at just people in that age group, you know, and we work, we, we're, we're, we're raising families, we're saving for kids, colleges or paying for college. Like we're not spending a lot of time focusing on ourselves by the time we hit our forties. Um, all of the things we did before that, you know, um, fun fast food diets of our twenties and late nights out with friends, that stuff catches up to you. So I think that that age group is where we start to see the problems beginning with lifestyle. Uh, what's the word I want to use? Self-inflicted chronic diseases that start to become more prevalent around that age group. Um, you know, and then, like I said, the other, the other portion are young women trying to, trying to have families. That's, that's probably the, uh, the other side of it. Um, yeah, if you kind of look at some of the stats that are going on too, most of my patients in their forties are on at least three to five medications. Usually, you know, the big three are going to be the, uh, some sort of blood sugar lowering medication, a cholesterol lowering medication, and an antihypertensive, right? Try to get the blood pressure down. Um, the other two that I see quite often are thyroid medication and antacids. Um, so those are pretty much the, the norm of what's walking in. And if you sit back and you think about why most folks have those problems, it's, it's movement, and fuel, right? I mean, the three pillars of health are proper structure, uh, proper movement, and, and proper proper fueling. So you can't have a three-legged stool with or a three-legged table where two of the legs aren't working right, right? Nothing's going to stand up. Um, so that's that's kind of uh, I, I think too. Those are those two things that start to fail the quickest at, after our forties. We stop seeing the good movement and we stop seeing the, the good fueling, the good nutrition. No, absolutely. Um, you know, talking about functional medicine and talking about functional nutrition, you know, you've been in practice for a while. Uh, how have you seen that evolve with, you know, just in the whole field itself? I mean, you know, I say five years ago when I graduated school, I graduated seven. Let's not tell anybody, but five years ago when I started in practice, you know, I had a lot of clients coming to me that were also, you know, dealing with the PCOS, dealing with the blood sugar issues. Um, and at that time I was just looking at a lot of food sensitivities. So food sensitivity is still something, you know, Drew and I deal with a mm -hmm. lot now since we opened up Iowa Performance Institute last summer. Um, and, but I think what's great now is, you know, with Drew being here, he's added in that, that wellness piece. He's added in that fitness piece of getting the activity going, but just have you seen, I guess, the acceptance rate among, you know, other non-chiropractic providers? Have you seen it expand in healthcare? You know, it's interesting. I went to the um, American Academy for Anti-Aging Medicine, the A4M Longevity Festival. Very medically minded, but it's, it's a lot about, you know, health, wellness, and, and staying young and fit. 
there were over 5,000 people. There were five and a half thousand professional providers who attended that conference. It was enormous. Um, you know, slightly different approach to things because they have the power of the pad. You know, they can write a prescription. Um, one of the first lectures we were in was talking about adding low dose metformin to um, people's regime, their regimen of, of what they're taking to help lower this inflammatory cascade that they see in people of a certain age group. And I love it because they weren't sure how it worked. Right. You know, like lowering blood sugar just makes you makes you healthier. Right. So they, they're on the right track um, and, and they're they're playing in, in the, that function arena. But I don't they're not looking at nutrition as a way of doing it yet. Um, that's secondary. That, that's maybe even tertiary to them. Um, you look at the Institute of Functional Medicine. They've got over, I think the last time I checked, which was a little while ago, it was probably about four or five years ago, um, they had just surpassed 1,100 certified providers, which, you know, they're relatively new to the game. They haven't been around 20 years. Mm -hmm. They are highly sought after. And I see a lot of medical doctors who are like, yeah, I'm going to Institute of Functional Medicine. It's like, great, great. Learn how to get people better. Learn how to make them not only just not have those symptoms, those those complaints that they came in there with, but but have them have them actually function better. Um, Cleveland Clinic now has a functional medicine uh, wing to the Cleveland Clinic, and uh, a couple of years ago they used a, um, I believe it's called the Promise Scale, and it's basically a, an activities of daily living uh, health questionnaire. And they took about 1,500 people who were going to the functional medicine clinic at Cleveland Health and about 5,000 people who were going to a primary care facility nearby. And they measured this promise score on everybody coming in. They measured it six months and 12 months. The people who saw functional medicine providers had a 31% increase in their promise scale. Right. Very significant change, right? Where the people who were going to primary care doctors only saw a 12% increase. Um, what's interesting, though, is the, the study kind of drops off. People don't continue on going back to the doctor, right? The medical idea is, man, we treated you, you know, we're done. That's good. Go, go be a healthy person. Um, they saw no clinical difference between those people a year later. So they all saw them about five points above their initial scale uh, a year after their initial treatment. So if you think about that, where, where we come in as being more of, of a coach, as a, as, a, as a team effort instead of a doctor-driven model of healthcare, where it's like, oh man, this, I want you to do this, this, and this. I, I think, and I'm sure you guys agree, especially being in the wrestling world, you're here to support the patient for as long as that patient is going to accept that support. Um, so I'd, I'd be kind of, I mean, we're never going to get that many people, but I'd love to see a bunch of us get together and look at like, you know, what are our promise scales looking like one year, two year, three years of, of seeing a patient and being their primary care provider or their secondary care provider. Um, and I, I think that's a trend that's becoming more and more 
kind of ubiquitous out there. I see, um, I just had a staff member go see a specialist and the specialist, you know, talked about uh, her gut and gave her a book to read about gut health. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like this is, this is not even traditionally related to what she went in there for. Right. But this guy's already thinking about, you know, the biome and, you know, your immune system you know, the reason why this isn't working right in your kidneys is because your immune system's missing something. Like, well, yeah, it's probably 100% correct. So um, I, the big trend I see is is I think a lot of medical doctors are getting the idea that there's more to do. Um, and I'm appreciating the fact that a lot of them are going out there and learning how to do it. Um you know, the assumption that, oh man, I, you know, I have, I have the letters after my name. I, I know what to do. I just have to talk about it more. And it's not always the case. You have to, you have to sit down and get some extra training in clinical nutrition. I mean, you know what I'm, it's, it's definitely a multidisciplinary approach. I mean, I know that's kind of a buzzword within just the healthcare field, but you know, it's, it's exactly how we see the, you know, the wrestlers. I mean, it's, let's find the care that you need. Let's get the support that you need. Like, and so from a healthcare perspective, you know, multidisciplinary approaches from, from my world and your world is obviously working with outside providers, whether that's, in my case, you know, the AT staff and the orthos up in Des Moines, um, or, you know, if it's cardiology or yeah. neurology, whatever that may be, um, you know, the follow-up to all that is you were talking about these metrics. And so once everybody gets on board and gets, you know, that multidisciplinary approach, I can't help but think that that would have implications in terms of the world of insurance i mean you know if insurance is going to start looking it's all about metrics right so if if we can come yep. forth and show look you incorporate the nutrition you incorporate the, the the wellness piece i mean i i have to feel like surely having everybody on board on the same playing field would surely have some benefit for third-party payers is that something you think we're seeing or are you seeing it you know, it, it's it's a challenge. Um, I run a lot of blood work in my 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 clinic, um, and I don't live in a place where I send you out to Quest and they draw your blood. Don't have that privilege. I have to do it in my office. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with a co-op that uh, gives us a really great price. We, you know, are probably ninety percent less than what it costs to go get blood work here in Alaska at say the hospital. Um, you know, our usual and customary fees up here are really high. The crazy thing is we'll try to bill that to a patient's insurance and we were always unsuccessful. And it's not because I'm a chiropractor. My taxonomy number says I'm an internist. Primarily, I, I'm an internist. Um, the issue is that I want to run a lot of labs. I, I don't want to just look at the basics and then say, hey, this was off. Let's get you back in and run some more. You know, cast a wide net and and see what's going on. Look at how different things are functioning together. Um, they haven't been too keen on paying for those. I have noticed, though, I have gotten things paid for that I would not otherwise think I'd get paid. Um, there been a lot of, um, you know, I, I see patients... I bill their insurance for, for their visit. We're in a very insurance heavy state. Uh, I get my E&M codes. I get my patient's visits covered by insurance all the time. 
Uh, when I come out and I start talking about things that we're doing in their notes, if I get a little like, oh, there's a lot of weird diagnoses on here because it looks like this patient came in for, for neck pain and now you're treating them for a gallbladder problem. What happened, right? Um, we're able to really explain that well to insurance companies. They, they think it's a good thing. Um, I forget when this was, but I remember talking about it at Life how uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois did a study. It's a, it's a multi-year study where they had people go to chiropractors as their primary care doctors and measured outcomes. The outcomes were really tremendous. They saw a lot less cost. They saw a lot less days out of work, uh, better outcomes, better metrics, right? All these things that they want to see. Later found out those were all chiropractic internists in the study. Found that out when I was going through the DAPSI program. So I think the insurance companies know what we're capable of doing in the healthcare arena. Mm -hmm. I, I think the pushback's more from the mode of how we work um, because we're not following the same rubric that's being taught in medical school, right? We're not medical doctors, um, but we're getting results that are on par and sometimes a lot better than medical doctors because we're looking at different things. Um, you know, we haven't changed what we're teaching in medical school in over 50 years, right? The textbooks are still teaching the same stuff. Um, but if you look in like the past 30 ish years or so, the diseases that we're seeing in primary care are completely different than what they were in the eighties. We're seeing more problems with digestive health, hormonal health, the things that we're seeing walking into our offices that aren't being handled very well. Um, we've changed our food supply. We've changed the way people work, right? We've left that manufacturing model and we're in that microchip model where, you know, you can do a lot of work sitting at a desk because you have a computer now, right? Um, I always laugh when I watch old sitcoms from like the seventies and early eighties and you look and there's a typewriter on a desk, right? You're like, wow. And there's one in the whole office, you know, there's one person who knew how to type. Um, it's like, oh my God, now everybody has a computer, right? You could do all that work sitting down in their hands. So we've changed the way people move. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, <laughs> so we're, we're teaching weird things. Weird. We're teaching old stuff that isn't really applicable to the new problems we have, right? These chronic diseases are just different. Definitely. <clears throat> um, my next thing is, you know, I kind of want to switch gears. One thing I, you know, I try to ask everybody is, you know, how can I apply this to my athletes? How, how can I apply this to, you know, an athlete's perspective? I can assume it is, you know, the, the more, you know, the healthier you are, the more opportunities you have to improve your performance. But I just kind of wanted to see it from your perspective. How, how can we, you know, how can functional medicine play a role in performance? Sure. Yeah. It's, you know, um, one of the things that I've noticed in, in working with a buddy of mine who is a athletic trainer in Cairo out in Colorado, um, he's not a functional medicine doc and he'll get athletes that he's not getting well. He works with a lot of world-class runners, rugby players, um, and fighters. And, and I'm a martial artist. I've, I've been involved in martial arts for 30 plus years, teaching and competing. Um, and, you know, you start looking at things like food sensitivities, huge. 
huge. If you're not eating, if you're eating something, even though it might be a good food, you know, we think, well, you know, this is a great macronutrient for you to have. And then you find out like, oh, but your immune system hates it. (laughs) And it's going to tell you, right? You're going to have pain somewhere. You're going to have an inflammatory problem in a joint or, or some muscle tissue. Um, the other one, though, that's probably the biggest one is uh, adrenal stress testing in athletes. Looking at what training's doing to that hormonal function of stress, right? You know, stress isn't just up here. Stress is a, um, um, a load, right? It is how much stress can you take. Uh, that stress can be overtraining, right? It could be walking around with an injury that, hey, man, I've been able to compete with this pulled muscle for the last three months. No big deal. But to your body, that's a really big deal. It, it takes a toll on those adrenal stress hormones. Um, so that's one thing that I think has been really important. And then, of course, you know, again, getting adjusted, keeping the structure of the body where it's supposed to be encouraging proper movement and and making sure you're getting the right fuel to keep that stuff going. Um, I think that's the easiest way and the most logical way to apply it to athletes. Can you expand on the adrenal stress? So, you know, if nothing else, and it's just my students listening to us right now um, and, you know, our athletes, our wrestlers. So sure. a lot, I think a lot of athletes are too comfortable walking around I understand it's one thing to, you know, go work out. Like I've had a good leg day and I can't walk up the stairs the next day. Like that is how I know it was a good workout. Right. And I think that's how a lot of athletes gauge whether or not they have put in the effort, put in the time to really accomplish something. Right. It's what kind of, how much pain can you be in? But from a physiological standpoint, you know, wrestling, especially is a, is a combat sport. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough on the body and it's a tough season. And so you're, you're banged up and, how do you convince the athletes going into a little bit more on the, you know, adrenal stress and the adrenal fatigue piece? How do you get them to understand the importance of nutrition and how it's important to, in our case, cut weight the, the proper way? Sure. Right. Cut weight the proper way. It's the other, the other fun thing about your sport. Yeah. Um, yep. a, a couple of things that I always like to, to talk to, my performance people, right? Um, it, it's adrenal stress hormones are, are vital. You can't live without them. Your heart stops, right? Your heart doesn't work if it doesn't, uh, if it's not able to adapt to stress. So I have to kind of take the idea away from stress being purely mental. And that's, I think, a, a really tough thing because we think it's about, you know, having a bad job, crappy relationships and money problems. That's, that's not all of it. Um, you know, putting the idea that if you have a, an injury and you're walking around that injury for days and days and days and days, it's a stress on your body. It's a physical stress. Um, you know, there's chemical stresses too, right? Food sensitivities, it's chemical stress. Um, the easiest way for me to get guys to understand this is I, I draw out the pathway. And I show them how testosterone is highly affected by making poor choices in stress management and shunting all of that pregnenolone, which is a hormone precursor for your testosterone, over to make more cortisol to deal with stress, right? You're always making more stress. And then I show them that it's progesterone. Ooh, it's a female hormone. Yeah, you need it, right? You got to have it. (laughs) And uh, 
especially if you're, you know, hitting the mat really hard. Progesterone protects your brain, boys. Just, you know, let your wrestlers know that. They might need that every once in a while. But Definitely. when you show them that, you know, you're, you're sacrificing testosterone, and they go, whoa, what do you mean? I'm like, you're saying you're going to make more female hormones. That usually gets them kind of nervous, and they start to take it a little bit more seriously. Um, you know, measuring the test, too, it's simple. I, my, you do it at home, right? It's salivary. Spit in some tubes, throw them in the freezer, ship them out to the lab, and, and in about a week or so, they'll, they'll tell you exactly where you are. And the best thing about testing is it doesn't just show you where the levels are. It gives us as providers a really good idea of how to change it and correct it. Um, because just, you know, throwing ashwagandha at somebody isn't always the right thing to do, right? <laughs> so um, explaining to some of the guys uh, and gals, like, you know, there's ways of correcting this. We could do it through diet, exercise. I mean, probably one of the best ways to help lower stress is uh, vagal nerve stimulation, right? Go sing and, and gargle in the bath uh, while you're taking a shower. Stimulate that vagus nerve um, or get really funky and start doing uh, auricular stim with a TENS unit. You guys do any of that? We do not. No? We, we definitely don't do any of that. No. Uh, that's, that's cool <laughs> stuff because um, you can always get an athlete to put a TENS unit on. Yep. Right? Like, oh, yeah, we'll put this TENS on your shoulder. But I'm going to clip this wire to your ear for a little while. I'm like, my ear? Yeah, yeah. It's ground, ground, grounded out over here. Um, makes a huge difference. You get people who come off that thing like, man, I feel tired now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So you went from fight or flight to this rest and digest idea. Yeah. I think Drew's laughing because I think right now in our head, we're probably thinking of about three or four guys who would absolutely <laughs> just clip on the shit <laughs> Definitely. Right. Just hang out. Like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, I got this cool earring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've put, I've put a tens unit everywhere. I mean, we, we messed around in the, in the training room a couple of years ago, just putting it on our stomach. Like it was just, you know, as an athlete, you put it, you know, it's, there could, could be video of that floating around. I'm just there, saying there could be, there is somewhere a video <laughs> just possibly. of that. Yeah. Next, next symposium. Can you keep that in your pocket? My, my fiance saw it and said, I bet that's about half as much as, you know, how my cramps feel on my period. And I said, <laughs> we'll see about that. She wants to, she wants to do some sort of. Hey, come here, put these electrodes on your yeah. belly. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's great that you brought up, you know, the, the stresses and, you know, as wrestlers, man, there are a lot of, you know, different stresses, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, um, you know, wrestling is a very mentally grueling season. It's a long season. Um, you, you throw college in there, you know, you're dealing with finals right in the middle of your season. Like there's, you know, there's so many stressors for, you know, the college athlete yep. and, you know, the college wrestler and, you know, in specific. Drew, what were some of the ways that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously our guys know exactly, you know, they've heard stories from you and they go to you for a lot of nutrition advice and, and, physical activity advice, but what are some of the things for maybe, you know, students out there just listening and like, for those of you that haven't listened to the first, you know, intro podcast, Drew is a four-time national qualifier in wrestling. I mean, he's got success under wow. his belt for sure. And so Drew, how did you manage this? Like, cause you were a student and you're still a student, you're wrapping up your masters. How did you 
cope with all that? I mean, one of the biggest things, you know, I'll go back to, you know, my, you know, academic side and, you know, I have academic meetings with my wrestlers, but I tell them time management, you know, is one of the biggest things to reduce that stress. And, you know, especially as a college student, you have so many different things. But you also have breaks in the day. You have to use those breaks, you know, to your advantage, you know, instead of going and taking a two hour nap, you, know, you can get something else done, you know, to where you may be able to get an extra workout in, you know, later in the day when, you know, you studied for those two hours, um, you know, during, during the day. Um, you know, there's so many breaks throughout the day. You can use those for your extra workouts. Um, you know, where, where I see a lot of people struggle is they think, oh, I have a break. I'm just going to go relax. You know, it's a very stressful day. You know, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to go do something else. And I think that, you know, that's definitely a vicious cycle because once you start that, it's very hard to, you know, go away from that. And, um, you know, it, it's just a snowball effect. And then you want to do it every single day. You know, you're never getting those extra workouts in. You're never getting your, you know, assignments done. You're never studying during that time. And you're behind in everything. You're behind in getting weight off if you're a wrestler. You're behind in you know, getting that lift in for the day. You're behind in your academics. And what does that lead to? More stress. So, you know, that's definitely probably probably the biggest thing is, you know, utilizing your time um, as a college athlete. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Nardi, you talked – I just want to circle back to the food sensitivities. You know, the, the stress is a fascinating topic, and I think that could be a whole additional podcast. So if you're willing to come back, we'll have you back sometime just to talk about that, just especially in this sure. population. I mean, I joke with some of the students like when, when they come into the training room, oh, I'm so stressed what do you know about stress? But I mean, I joke with them. I mean, they're under their own set of stresses. And, you know, here I am in my adulthood. Now we have a new set of stresses. I remember what it was like being a, a student. You know, I, I remember the exams and the boards. and But <clears throat> switching gears from the stress side, because I think it's just all around us and, you know, finding ways to cope is definitely an important factor. But talking about food sensitivities, you talked about doing that in your practice. Like that is a foundation to our online practice. I mean, almost anybody that comes in to see Drew or myself, like food sensitivities are, are right there. One of the first things that we want to talk about, because if you're not eating, you could be a, having a, a reaction to apples or chicken and spinach. Like what seems to be like the three foundation, like healthiest foods on earth. If that's all you're eating time and time again, your body doesn't like that. So right. I guess my question for you is how often are you doing it? What are some of the things that you're seeing pop up for you just because of your environment? Like, are you seeing venison and salmon be common foods? Cause I know sometimes that can be it. Like, what are you, what are you seeing? Um, it, it, it varies a lot. Um, I see a lot of gluten and yeasts. Um, so I see a lot of people with occult gluten reactivity um and yeast reactivity and, and those kind of go hand in hand right i mean if you're eating baked goods that are leavened you you got gluten and you have yeast make make that stuff airy right um i don't see a lot of you know when i was in north carolina i saw a lot of people with beef mm-hmm. and then i started finding out you know like alpha gal that tickborn was was rampant in North Carolina and you get people with this, you know, meat aversion. And sure enough, there's a reason for their meat aversion. They're having, they're having an IgG, uh, an immune reaction to it. Um, 
but they vary. They vary a lot. I, I don't see really any other trend than the the baked goods related stuff. Um, you know, you're right though. It's almost always somebody's favorite food. I will say that. It's why I keep a box of tissues in my consult room. Um, people cry, man. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you have a really strong reaction to chocolate. I'm like, chocolate? I can't eat chocolate. I mean, they get really upset. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you try to tell them, like, it's not forever. You know, I'll yeah. try getting rid of it for four months. We'll add it back in and see how you're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, do a lot of 98 food food panels, man. Like, a, a lot. It's, uh, it's an easy test. It, um, mm-hmm. I think... The neat thing, too, is nobody else does it here. So you get a few people who all of a sudden are like, oh, my God, I saw this doctor. He found out I was having problems with green peppers, whatever, you know, cut them out of my diet. I lost five pounds and I feel great. My, You know, like they they tell their friends about that. Um, and, and there's a lot of people who come in just not to be patients, just to get a food sensitivity test. And, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to help them get better. It's a great opportunity to talk about what nutrition does to your body. It's, it's a good way to make a patient um, or, or at least keep somebody uh, who's going to think about you later on when, when their, their health goes kind of south again, right? Um, but, yeah, not, no real trends in it. Are your patients more curious just to get the food sensitivity just to know? Or are they coming in trying to lose weight? I mean, because, you know, I think that is probably 50% of ours want to, you know, have some of that weight loss just because it's so incredible that when you lower that inflammatory response, you lower the, I, I use the analogy to everybody. So if you're a patient listening or you're a potential patient listening, I, you're going to react to certain levels of food. And I'm not really worried about the stuff that's like a low reaction. Like that's like the limbs in your tree on fire. What I'm trying to get is your actual house fire address the major inflammatory responses that are going on. And so, you know, are you getting people coming in for weight loss? Cause that's what we typically see. I would say at least 50% weight loss, but you know, kind of what's that demographic like for you? Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I said, I think it's a lot of people being curious cause they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, they think it's something they're eating. Um, there's a few people who heard, you know, oh, my friend came in and saw you. She lost 15 pounds. Yeah, all right. That has been less and less, though, since the pandemic, yeah. oddly. Um, like the pandemic was rough on us. We, we couldn't go anywhere. A lot of people sat at home. Everybody has the pandemic 20, you know, <laughs> um, from eating inflammatory foods. But, um, um, yeah, it's mostly people who are just having some general... What's that? So you should trademark that one. The pandemic 20. Yeah. We got the freshman 15. So, I mean, there's not a lot of competition there for you. It's true. It's true. We're going to step that up a little bit. Um, But yeah, nothing, nothing really specific. Again, a lot of general, just people not feeling well and getting the idea that, oh man, maybe it is something I'm eating. And it usually is. It usually is something you're eating. Drew, do you remember what your food sensitivity uh, test revealed? Oh, I mean... Wheat was, you know, right up there. Um, I'm dairy. Like, I think we're very high in, you know, wheat and dairy. So, um, shocker. That's something that, yep. I was, I was really disappointed with the dairy myself. I mean, being a, being a low carb guy and for a while a keto guy, 
the dairy the dairy hurt me i mean i needed some kleenex close by on that one because that was hard (laughs) (laughs) so but that was rough i mean but you know i mean we've had some crazy stories i've had some some clients back in the past who you know i always like to do follow-ups with with people i mean i understand a lot of people just want to get tested and call it a day and that's all they really right. you know want um but i always try and you know include those follow-up appointments because the idea is that you educate them along the way and you can you know make changes but you know i've had two in the past i don't know five years that i've called and they've all of a sudden told me you know i had to stop um you know i've had to stop the food sensitivities i just you know just go back to a regular diet and, and when you poke and you know ask a little bit more it and, and i'm not saying it's a correlation it's just what i've seen in, in clinical practice but those two particular patients both suffered from pcos and one had been going through uh she had gone through i believe four rounds of ivf just they thought they were infertile and could not get um, pregnant and they had tried and tried and tried and then when i called for a three-month follow-up we've had to put a pause because we're pregnant like oh wow and of course that always starts with a congratulations because you never know because after you know trying for so long and and having you know all those heartbreaks that's ivf and infertility is a really big a really big hot button topic for some people but of course it was a it was a congratulations moment they were so thrilled and you know i mean i'm not saying it had anything to do with the food sensitivities but i just that was the only thing that had changed we took out the inflammatory mark like what we were consuming on a daily basis and you're able to address it and the body's just able to heal itself. And, you know, as a chiropractor, that makes total sense to me. Right. Right. You know, again, you're talking about that three-legged stool, right? If you, if you look at a lot of things, there's always a, a, a triune of something. And, you know, you have the, the nervous system, you have the signalers, right? You have the nervous system, the endocrine, you know, slash hormone system and the immune system, right? So if you now all of a sudden have that short leg on that immune system because you're eating something that's causing inflammation all the time, well, the other legs have to adapt to it. So yeah, the hormone system is going to adapt to it, right? You're going to see a change in the way you're producing hormones. You're going to see a change in the way you, your nervous system's working. You're going to see weird aches and pains and you know, maybe some, some end, uh, you know, organs at the end of those nerves not working right. So yeah, it totally makes sense. It's all you need to do. Right. But that's awesome. It's great when you get somebody like all of a sudden like, Hey man, I have a family now and I owe it to you. It's an amazing, amazing part of what we do. If you had told me when I started doing food sensitivity testing that that was going to be one of the outcomes, I thought you'd have been crazy for sure. Right. (laughs) So, so Dr. Nardi, we have a lot of students, um, you know, that we, you know, plan to have listening to this podcast. What advice would you give a student or, I mean, current practitioner um, who wants to incorporate or open functional nutrition practice? Yeah. Um, don't stop learning stuff. It's constantly changing. You know, physiology isn't changing that much, right? We're always going to kind of work the same way that we work. Um but it doesn't mean you know how to do everything. Uh, keep keep going out there and, and trying to figure out how to do it better, how to test better. Um, you know, without good metrics, we don't know what we're doing sometimes. Um, just because somebody says they're feeling great, yeah, man, it might just be because you put them on a good dose of B vitamins and they have a lot of energy, but, you know, their thyroid's still not working. 
Um, so, you know, make sure you're testing stuff, make sure you're, you're learning how to read those labs the right way and, um, know what's out there. And, and, and one thing I think too, you guys were talking about how you work with a team of other providers. Don't be afraid to go out there and consult with another provider. If you don't know what's going on with the person, um, don't, don't let your ego get in the way of getting somebody well. Um, cause it's not about your ego. It's about getting that person well. Yeah, that's, that's some great advice. Well, Doc, we are just about out of time. So I have one last question for you. I've been putting everyone on the spot so far um, in our last few interviews. So Uh-oh. here we are putting you on the spot. So I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball. Okay. okay. If you had a crystal ball, what do you think is the next big thing to happen in the field of nutrition? Like, what are you seeing maybe in practice? What are you seeing or reading in the research? What do you think the next big thing is? I, I think the genomic medicine is becoming more and more important. Um, getting tested for genes and seeing what we can and can't do to, to help epigenetics or, or gene expression through nutrition. Fascinating. Love I think it. that's the big thing coming. And it's becoming more and more accepted. I get patients who come back and they've had genetics run on them by their primary or their specialist. And I think that's, that's a a giant leap forward in doing the right thing for people. Excellent. That wasn't bad. I was expecting like some crazy question, like who's your favorite Simpsons character and why, you know, something really out of left field. Okay. I have a part two. I have a part two (laughs) follow up. What's your favorite Simpsons character and why? (laughs) Barney. I really like Barney. Um, (laughs) why? I don't know. I, I, I think that, uh, he adds a certain flavor to the cast of characters on that show. There you go. I like the answer too. (laughs) Well, Dr. Nardi, um, you know, we're, we're getting down to the end. Thank you for, you know, being our guest today. And, um, you know, for all you guys listening out there, remember new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple podcasts and more every Monday with special behind-the-scenes clips shared on our social media channels throughout the week. Yeah, we appreciate everyone tuning in today. You know, this has been Nutrition on a Mission uh, podcast. It is the podcast of the ACA Council on Nutrition. So make sure you follow us on Instagram at Nutrition on a Mission Pod and follow Drew and myself at Iowa Performance Institute for updates on our guests and episode releases. Yeah, can't wait for you guys to join us again next time. Drew, Dr. James, thank you guys. I really appreciate the time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. The views and comments expressed herein are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.